0: hear you black thumbed boobs this is garden plots with skeletor where i skeletor rightful master of all offer you hopeless fools advice on how to keep your house plants happy and make your vegetable yields bounteous you may bow before me riley can you make that last line sound momentous add some reverb or something riley how dare you roll your eyes at me is that a yes or a no That was a yes-of-course-I-can-add-some-reverb. Oh. Well, okay then. Perhaps, listeners, you know me only as an all-powerful supervillain and rightful ruler of Eternia. What you may not know is that I am also the greatest gardener in this or any other universe. My orchids are the rarest, my ferns the lushest, and my cactuses the spikiest. There is nothing I cannot grow, and grow better than anyone else offering you gardening advice. And speaking of the advice other alleged gardeners have to offer, you may be asking yourself why I, Skeletor, would interrupt my many brilliant schemes to create a podcast. Well, I have listened to several gardening podcasts, and have found the creators to be a population of dull-headed dolts. You will not get namby-pamby gardening advice here, such as you might get from a lesser podcast or local gardening column written by a moronic monarch. Yes, Queen Marlene may be Queen of Eternia, for now, but her gardening column is... is... an affront. My mom loves her gardening column. It is an egregious, negligent, shameful, and... Feel-good piece of puffery with the most haphazard plant advice I've ever had the misfortune to see. Hide behind your crown while you can, madam. Your advice will be found out for the pathetic pack of falsehoods it is, starting now. This is not advice that I am giving you, listeners. These are gardening edicts. And if you desire to keep your thumbs, whether green or no... Then you will listen carefully and follow my instructions better than that heap of hair, Beast Man. Can you hear me, Beast Man? <laughs> I laugh because he cannot, as he is currently encased in a glass cage suspended over a chasm. The cage is also full of moths. Beast Man hates moths. So, I am here on the airways. here on the. internets. So, I am here to offer you the best advice for the healthiest plants, from the most finicky orchid such as the Vanda I have had for years, to my most recent plant annexation, a low-maintenance peace lily. I will give the only advice worth listening to, and I will gain an army of devoted followers who have never before known such backyard fecundity. This is not an interruption of my schemes. This is, in fact, a scheme. <laughs> So you're going to yell plant advice at people, and they will like you. I don't appreciate that pause. They will not just like me, they will worship me as a gardening genius. Now, and only because it amuses me to know, what issue could you possibly have with this foolproof plan? Uh, the fact that people don't like being yelled at? (laughs) Puh! People love being yelled at. I'll prove it. Beastman! He's in the moth cage? Curses! Foiled by my own evilness! Fine. Merman! Yes, mighty Skeletor? Do you like being yelled at? Um, sure? Good. Now get out. Did you not read the sign on the door that says keep out? Honestly. Oops. Um, sorry about that, your evilness. I believe my point is made. I don't even know what to say. A common reaction to my brilliance. Now, cut all of that. The first plant we will examine is the Sansevieria, or the snake plant, sometimes also known as mother-in-law's tongue. I don't really understand why. I have never had a mother-in-law, but I understand the lore surrounding them suggests that they are fierce creatures indeed. If any mothers-in-law would like to try henching, they can apply in person at Snake Mountain HR or through our LinkedIn page. Snake plants are, unfortunately, not at all venomous. That said, they are quite pleasantly pointy, and sturdy enough to poke out an opponent's eye in a pinch. However, I cannot recommend doing so, as it would almost certainly damage the plant. If you avoid using the plant in melee combat, you will find the snake plant a rewarding and loyal botanical companion, and more intellectually stimulating than most of my henchmen. It does not require frequent watering, it will thrive in bright, indirect light, such as one might find adjacent to a cavern opening shaped like the mouth of a serpent, ready to strike down Eternia's monarchy, but for the meddlesome machinations of an oiled-up simpleton in furry panties! This podcast sponsored by Knee Panties, the panties for podcasters. I have looked over my shoulder in a mirror found my posterior to look most satisfactory in them. Do not put the plant in direct light, which should not be a problem for most layers of evil to moderately naughty classifications. While the snake plant will grow well in indirect light, it can handle much darker conditions as well. Some have said it thrives on neglect, but I can tell you, nothing thrives on neglect. It will merely survive. Even snake plants need affection. Perhaps even an occasional friendly touch, someone telling it that it is doing the best it can despite the swamp of ineptitude in which it is mired, that it is more than just a font of immense magical power and a perfectly maintained manicure, but it is also a witty, misunderstood genius who does, in fact, deserve love. Fertilize your snake plant with a 20-20-20 formula once a month. This is true advice for all snake plants. Your snake plant is most likely to be Sansevieria lorientii, But perhaps you misguidedly think you are too good for the more typical varieties of snake plant and wish to have a plant that makes a statement. First of all, plants make a statement, and that statement is, I am a plant. Secondly, you are not too good for any plant. If anything, you should be grateful that they are willing to tolerate your general bunglings Without succumbing to root rot, just to escape your inexpert care. With correct care, your snake plant should live at least ten years. But if you are even remotely capable, it should live longer. So for you, probably ten years. As for size, that will depend entirely on your variety. Some will stay an adorably petite ate it... Did I just say adorable? Adorably petite. Cut that, cut that immediately. Right now, while I'm sitting here. You cut that this instant. Are you cutting it? Oh yeah, definitely. Snip snip. Okay, it's gone. (sighs) As for size, that will depend on your variety. Some will stay a respectable eight inches. Others may reach a towering 12 feet. Plan accordingly and be ready to repot. You do know about repotting, I assume. Why am I asking? Even if you do, I'm sure everything you know is some haphazard advice you read in the back of a magazine at the dentist's and is more likely to kill your plant than prolong its life. Don't repot anything until you receive my explicit instructions on how to do so properly. If I hear any of you so much as looking at a trowel with intent, I will not be held responsible for my actions. Now it is time for Leaf It to Me, where I answer listener questions. As I currently do not yet have listener questions, I asked Beastman for a gardening question, and the quality of his question is why he currently finds himself suspended in the cage of moths. Trapjaw did not do much better, but his question about the best-tasting dirt did help us diagnose him with Pika, and he will receive treatment once his banishment to the crossroads of the universe is complete. So I have created my own question. Oh, great and wise Skeletor, rightful master of the universe and also gardening, how do I prepare my garden beds for spring planting? Ahem. What you should be asking, you bramble brain, is nothing. Because you already should have been preparing your beds since the moment you tilled under the last of your autumn plants right before the first frost date. If you are coming to me in January with questions about preparing your beds, you may already consider yourself defeated by the nemesis of soil degradation, poor nutrient levels, and, dare I say it, blight. However, if you, this very moment, put your headphones in, do not turn off the podcast, and head out into the garden with bags of rich compost that you immediately spread evenly two to three inches thick, and till under at least twelve inches, then cover with a layer of sphagnum moss, and allow the whole mix to rest until planting, then there is a very, very small chance you might be able to harvest a tomato come spring. If you are lucky, a Brussels sprout. Not sprouts. One single sprout. Do not even dare to dream of bok choy. Bok choy is for those who have prepared. What kind of compost, you may be wondering? A rich, uniform, well-aged compost is what you want. You cannot just strew awful about in your garden and expect lush growth. By that standard, Whiplash's room would be a botanical paradise. (laughs) I joke, but he really is a disgusting creature. Perhaps now is a good time to talk about compost, as you clearly must be spoon-fed all gardening education. Would you also like me to make an airplane noise while soaring your daily ration of learning into your gummy maw? Well, I won't. This is not a podcast for whimsy. You will learn to airplane your own edification utensil. Spoon-feed a gardener, and you feed him for a day. Teach a gardener to spoon, and you... Riley, cut that. Compost needs to have a good balance of nitrogen and carbon materials. Humans are carbon-based. Does that make them appropriate for compost, you may be asking? Disappointingly, no. Do people ask that, though? I certainly have. Yeah, pretty sure you're the only one. Then everyone else is a fool! And I didn't hire you for color commentary, I hired you to sound edit. Silently. While fish parts can be very advantageous for a garden, you do not want to put compost with fish parts in with plants you intend to eat, lest you get the aftertaste of merman in with your turnips. Merman and turnips and regret. You should, however, have more carbon than nitrogen in your compost, lest it become sludgy and rank. We need compost, not a (laughs) swamp-post. Riley, why aren't you laughing? That was funny. I am the epitome of hilarity. I demand you laugh right this instant. I'm sound editing, silently. Very well, I see that you are laughing on the inside. And now, for the final and unintentional segment, Will It Kill Beastman? I was originally going to take this time to talk about what you should do with your leftover poinsettias from the holidays, but suffice it to say, poinsettias are very poisonous. Beastman had to waste my Saturday in the emergency room, and now I had to create a new segment about pet-safe plants in order to write off this enormous vet bill. Poinsettias. Will it kill Beastman? Yes. That is all for this episode of Garden Plots. Come back in two weeks. That is not a request. (laughs) Garden Plots with Skeletor is written by Marissa Bond and Megan Bob and edited by Dan Mulcairn. Our theme song is Daydream by Rafael Medina and our logo was created by Kit Mulcairn. Skeletor is played by Dan Mulcairn. Riley is played by Kit Mulcairn. Merman is played by Nathaniel Hubbard. Additional music from filmmusic.io by Kevin MacLeod at incompetech.com used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and all associated characters are property of their owners. You can reach us at gardenplotswithskeletor at gmail.com on Tumblr at gardenplotswithskeletor.tumblr.com, or on Twitter at garden underscore plots. You can donate to Skeletor schemes on Kofi at ko-fi.com slash plots with skeletor. Thank you for listening.